morning, everyone. I got I to gotta start by reminding everybody, next week is time change Saturday night slash Sunday morning. So everybody gets an extra hour of sleep. So it, it, yes, I hear clapping. That was good. Um, was that my son? Yeah, I figured. All right. So uh, we're, we're all excited about it in our house. I don't know if you are uh, or not, but uh, we, we expect the uh, energy level to go way up next Sunday morning after the extra hour of, of sleep. Um, it'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, last week, um, we got to, to go away just, just, just for the day. We didn't go far away. Um, we got to worship with um, my, my daughter's boyfriend's parents at, at their church and, and him. And then I got to go to dinner with um, my transplant donor. Uh, last Sunday was my two-year anniversary um, for uh, the kidney transplant that I had on October 20th in 2017. And uh, it went so well, the transplant has thus far, that my, I was supposed to have a doctor's appointment on Thursday. Uh, my two years, this is a big checkup appointment, the two-year checkup and all that stuff. And uh, my doctor's office said, hey, uh, we don't really need to see you yet. Why don't you just wait till you come in November? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. How often does a doctor say, hey, we don't really need to see you right now? Exactly. They want you in there. Um, and so that's a super exciting thing um, for us. And uh, I'll look forward to that appointment. I think it's next Monday. I need to look at my calendar now because <laughs> it's not on a Thursday. Like, but anyway, um, I'll, I'll figure that out when the, when the time comes. Uh, it, it is good. So I want to remind you, time change, and that's, that's where we were last week. You guys had a great week last week um, with Ben. Uh, we love church camp. We just can't wait to revitalize that connection with the church camp and really begin sending our kids. Uh, the church is very generous in the way it supports and helps send students there. We really want to get our kids down there because it, it does. It's a, a life-changing experience for so many kids um, and adults uh, like mine. And so um, just, just kind of keep that in mind. A couple things I want to remind you of. I mentioned um, three weeks ago that uh, starting today, we would have all of the information on the Poland trip available to you. And so I have made those copies. I have them in my possession. So if you're interested in going with us in April, this includes some deadlines, some timelines to get registered, deposit, things like that. Here's the biggest thing. Um, our biggest variable is that thing called airfare. And so what we really, really need people to do is if you want to go, we need your deposit. Because as soon as we have your deposit, I am scouring the airfares like crazy. Two weeks ago, it was down to $492 round trip trip to Poland. Yes. Right now it's $800. It'll go as high as $1,400 and it literally varies week to week. And so the second that I see it as low as I think it's going to go, we're going to jump and go ahead and start buying those things. And so anyway, we're excited about that. We only need five to seven people. Um, could we take a few more? Sure, we could take a few more than that. They can find things for us to do. But um, we need five to seven folks. And right now there's at least three of us for sure that are committed. And we like I said, we could bring some others. So if you're interested, um, if you've been praying about that and you think God might be leading you in that direction, please let us know uh, today so you can read this information, kind of see what we're going to do, where we're going to be staying, and all those kinds of things uh, with, with the camp. The last thing is, um, well, not, not true. This next Saturday is our work day, and we need a good group of guys here. We're going to be working on an awning. We're putting up a drop-off point for everybody for this fall and winter season um, and into spring and storms, and it'll be right there in a perfect location on the, the southeast corner of the building over here and this side glass doors. Um, we're going to be building that on Saturday. We're going to be doing lots of other little projects on Saturday. So if you can just be here an hour, you can probably change the innards of a toilet in less than an hour, probably 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and so we got a list. So if you're interested, like, is there anything I can do? Um, yes, there is. And so we have a list. They're sitting out at the Welcome Center. You can see what all things are on that list. And, and uh, come on in next Saturday morning, 8.30 a.m. I think the bulletin might say p.m., but it, we're not doing it at night. Uh, we'll do it in the morning um, and hopefully get done in a, a reasonable amount of time. Shouldn't take us that long if we've got a good crew here and 
everyone is, is welcome to come and help pull some weeds, get some landscaping together, things like that. Um, just get ready for the, the winter season. Don't forget about the holiday dinner coming up too. That's in a couple weeks still, but don't forget about that. Oh, they are kind of requesting that we sign up so they know how much food to prepare. I'm excited about it. I'll allude to that here in a moment um, in the message, but uh, we're excited about that. So please get signed up. Come join us for dinner that evening on that Saturday evening. Um, we're looking forward to this holiday season with, with all of you guys. Let's, let's go to board in prayer as we get started this morning. Father God, it is a blessing to be in your house this morning with your people. It's a, it's a blessing to have your word in our possession, uh, to share with one another, to study, to read, to learn, to be challenged from. Father, it's a blessing to be together as your people, united with one God who loves each and every one of us so much that he gave his only son. As we enter into the craziness, the busyness of this holiday season upcoming, I pray that we can set all of that aside daily and remember what it's all about. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but can you believe October is completely over at this point? It, it is. November starts this week, if you didn't realize that. November starts this week already. When I write these things, I do them almost a month in advance, and so literally it was October 1st when I wrote this message. And so now I'm looking at it like, oh my gosh, the month is completely gone. Where did it go? But then I said, wait, no, bring on the holidays. I'm ready. I love the holiday season. If it was only sunny and 70 for the next two months, that would be the only thing that would make it better in my world. I love the get-togethers. I love the time with family. I love the food. I won't lie. Um, those are all very important things. And I'll be very, very honest with you. I love the time we get to spend with each other. Because as a kid, for me growing up, the holiday season was filled with church-related activities, from programs to Christmas uh, concerts to Christmas dinners to Christmas get-togethers, um, Christmas services, you name it. We were all about being at the church for different things. We always had a big one right around Thanksgiving called Hanging of the Greens, where we'd literally decorate the whole church in one day, and we used real live greenery. So the church smelled amazing whenever you were done. There's a huge wreath on the wall up on the left side of the, of the sanctuary uh, that was originally made out of all actual greens. So somebody in the church, I don't remember who it was, would put it together by hand on that Sunday and, and put it up. And it was, just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time of season. And that hasn't changed. If we weren't able to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church in this holiday season, something would be missing in my world, in my family's world. And so I pray that if that's not the case for you, that it is moving forward, that this becomes a time of year that you just love being together and that you love inviting others to be a part of this with you. Because statistics tell us that if you, your friend, you invite your friend to come, they will. Especially this time of year because they're already thinking about the holiday season. If you don't have things like the Christmas Eve service already on your calendar, put it on your calendar. It's not hard to find. It's on Christmas Eve. So you don't have to think about it very hard at all. It's five o'clock Christmas Eve, very easy to find. Um, the, 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 the holiday dinner coming up, what a great chance you have to invite someone to come and be with you and just share in the times and the Thanksgiving holiday. It's an incredible, incredible thing. Today we're going to move into Ephesians chapter 4. This theme of unity that Paul just weaves through every letter that he writes, quite honestly, is reinforced through the, the, these verses, especially the initial part. Unity in the church, yes, but as he continues on throughout the book of Ephesians, this unity goes beyond just us being together. It goes over into the family, into marriage. As a matter of fact, anything that claims Christ as its center should be demonstrating unity in some form or fashion. So what does it take to be unified? What does it take to be mature in the faith? That's a topic Paul will dive into in this passage. You see, Paul will tie that unity 
and the maturity in the faith together so tight that you really can't separate them. They're one and the same. They go together always. And we get the privilege of discovering this truth through Ephesians, this letter that he wrote to this church. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles, open your phone, whatever. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll be this whole time hanging out today. Verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see, chapter 4 marks a transition now in Paul's letter. He moves from speaking primarily about doctrinal truth, theology, expressions, explanations of salvation, redemption, the links to which God went to reunite us in a restored relationship with him through his son Jesus. The first half is all about what Jesus has done. Now in chapter 4, we begin to shift gears, and it becomes a response to what Jesus has already done. It's an application, an if-then transition, if you will. If you are in Christ, then this is who you are to be because this is who we represent. This is where our hope comes from. This is our source of strength. These are the actions by which others will know who we are as followers of Jesus. That famous verse, John 13, 35, where Jesus reminds us, the way everyone will know that we are his followers is by how we love each other. It's huge. Paul's fleshing out what it looks like to love one another. Remember, always, this is in response to what Jesus has done. This isn't a command for you just to obey. This is a response, a way to react to the way Jesus has treated you, what he has done you, the way that he loves you. It's not to earn us anything. It doesn't gain us anything. We love because he first loved us. And so to review that verse that we just covered, it is in Christ. It is only in Christ that I can live a life worthy of my calling. It is in Christ that I can be completely humble and gentle as he was. It is in Christ that I can be patient, that I can bear with others in love. That's the only way I can do it. People test our patience, don't they? But it, through Christ, I can bear with them. And in Christ, I can make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I cannot do that on my own. I can only do that in Christ. This is a worthy life. This is the life, the relational characteristics we are to have, the ones which the church quite often, unfortunately, does a very poor job of representing. This is who we're called to be. This should be our trademark. These should be our calling cards. These are the things that people should identify in us so that they know we are with Christ. And I wanted to make sure that you notice who or what is elevated in this entire opening of the passage. It's always others. It's an others first mentality. To be humble means to put others ahead of yourself. To be gentle, to not overpower, to not injure or be harsh. To be patient, yes, to wait for others. Not to get frustrated with others. Remember, when we start to get frustrated with others, Remember the grace that God has shown you. Remember the patience that God has had with us. Remember the forgiveness that God has offered to us. And then that patience should come a little bit 
easier. Finally, to bear with one another, meaning to fully accept others in their uniqueness, including their weaknesses and their faults, and allowing them worth and space. We have to teach people that they have value in this world, and that value comes through Christ, and we demonstrate that value by loving them as Jesus loves them. And whatever thing that they're caught up in in life, that is Jesus' job. That is the Holy Spirit's work to convict them of that thing, to heal them of that thing. Our role is to love them and then to show them the ways of Christ. It all needs to be done in love. We don't love because we have to. We love because we are loved. Why is this so important? Why is this such an urgent message that Paul just keeps repeating over and over? What is the basis for this unity that we're to have? Well, verse 4 is the, spells it out perfectly. The one body, one spirit, one hope that we were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Unity, unity, unity. Paul is reminding us the unified nature of God, the Spirit, the Son. He reminds us of this uni unified mission that he has amongst all of us within the body of Christ. This is Christ's body and the church can only be one. Big C church. It cannot be fractured and divided. See, every local congregation is to be an expression of this unity in Christ. There's seven things that I, I put there in your bulletin. I left you some little blanks. I don't often do fill-ins, but I did today just for the fun of it. Seven little ways that this passage that we just read reminds us that we're unified in Christ. These are things that all believers, all Christians have in common. These override any possible difference that any of us could ever come up with because they are all in Christ. The first one, we are called to one body, the church. Those that have been accepted into the family of God, whether they're Jews, Gentiles, they are one family of believers in heaven and on earth. The oneness of God is reflected in the oneness of his church. There isn't a Baptist church and a Presbyterian church and a Wesleyan church and a Methodist church. There isn't. There's a big C church. Yeah, we all have our own traditions and our own worship styles, but there's one big C church in the eyes of God. There is one spirit, number two, the Holy Spirit that unifies us all. We all receive the same spirit of God within us. Does it look different sometimes? Yes, yeah, some of us receive a Pentecostal spirit, I suppose, but it's still the same spirit. Some of us, there is no Baptist spirit. Sorry, there is no Catholic spirit. No, there is the Holy Spirit, period. We are unified in that spirit. The same spirit marks every believer with that seal guaranteeing our redemption. There is one hope in Jesus, in salvation through his blood and eternal life with him. This is the hope to which we were called. There is only one of these. Number four, there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. We've given ourselves to him. He alone is our master. There is one faith. Paul uses the same word for faith throughout all of his letters and in particularly Ephesians and it indicates a saving faith, a personal trust, a commitment to Jesus which is based on our salvation. He wrote about it earlier in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace we've been saved through faith. The saving faith is what we're talking about. There's only one of those. There's only one baptism. See in the New Testament in the writing of these letters there is only one Baptism in the New Testament. And baptism and faith are naturally linked. When people believed, their next step was always to be baptized. And this one baptism unites all believers to Christ. At the time of the writing, all Christians shared this same baptismal experience. 
And it's the one which we attempt to replicate behind me in this very pool today. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4 remind us, don't you know that all of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. And finally, number seven, there is only one God, one Father. The unity among the people, the unity among the church, even the unity found within all of creation and the universe as it functions in one massive movement is only found in God. And those seven things are what unifies us. Those are what is important. And so when you begin having conversations with others that want to debate and argue about church traditions, about creeds, about laws, about denominational issues that come up, just bring them back to this passage and bring them back to Jesus because this is what unifies us. This is what matters. And the fact that we can't get along on these things is the reason why the world wants nothing to do with us. <laughs> and we could fix that, couldn't we? Because we're all united around Jesus. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, Paul is quoting from the book of Psalms, chapter 68, verse 18. Paul's comparing the great victory of God's, referenced back in Psalm 68, to Jesus' victory over the grave. See, through this victory, he's now offering gifts to his people. We'll get to those gifts here in just a moment. So let's move on to verse 9. What does he ascend mean, except that he also descended to lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul's simply pointing out a very obvious thing here, that Jesus couldn't go up if he hadn't come down. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. It's not anything. The descension is just referring to Christ's incarnation here on the earth, his coming from heaven to earth. And now Jesus has taken the opportunity to fill the entire universe with his presence. He's exercising his authority, his power over everything. Through this, he now gives the gifts that we're going to talk about in verse 11. But they're not gifts like you would think. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, in this list... Paul's sharing things that are very specific to the big C church, and in this case, specific to the church in Ephesus. These are not replacing the spiritual gifts that Paul lists elsewhere, like in the book of Galatians. This list does not offer gifts to specific individuals. Instead, this list tells us that actually God gives us certain individuals, and those individuals are the very gift. Think about it. The gift which God has chosen to use within this church to serve in these various roles. He has equipped and given people certain spiritual gifts to come and equip all of us. They've been gifted to fill the role of equipping his people for service so that the body of Christ can be built up, equipped for the service and ultimately become mature. Probably many of us that have grown up in the body of Christ can think of someone, and now you can look back and go, you know what? That person was a gift from God to my life. 
They spoke to me. They taught me. They reached me. Maybe they're the person that shared Christ with you for the first time. God empowered those people. Maybe it was a preacher. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Who knows who it was? But those people are gifts, human resources, if you will. Hopefully you learn to cherish those people, and hopefully many of you allow the Spirit to move in you in a way that allow you to be that same gift to someone else. On to the idea of maturity. What does that mean? What is Paul talking about? What does maturity look like in the body of Christ? Well, simply put in Paul's world, when the members of the body of Christ are put to work, when they're doing the good that God has planned out for them, when everyone, everyone is serving, guess what happens to the body of Christ? It grows and it matures. You and I, we grow in maturity in our faith as we serve. It's not what we do. It's who we're to be. And as long as those within the church remain just consumers, just people that show up, consume the programs and services, then they'll all remain immature in their faith. We look to Jesus for our model as always. He came to serve and not be served. We are called into action. We are strengthened through service. We are united through service. We become like Jesus as we serve. And that one little verse and verse and that one little word in verse 13, until we all, those three letters again, I hate to tell you this, but it doesn't exclude any of you. You are all part of all. There is no one left out of that group. Everyone, if you claim the name of Jesus and you're a believer, then this is how you will grow into maturity in your faith. Now, Paul goes on and he describes maturity just a little more in depth in verse 14. When we then, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, it sounds like in Paul's day, there were people that came to believe in Jesus. And they believed in Jesus until, well, they didn't believe in Jesus anymore. Let me explain that just a little bit. They believed in Jesus until a new popular trend or popular teacher came to town and they fell prey to that version. They believed until the ways of Jesus interfered with the ways of their life, and then they found a problem following Jesus. They believed until the culture told them that eh, it wasn't true, or maybe it wasn't relevant, or maybe it's too closed-minded, and so they stopped believing in Jesus. Or maybe they believed until someone else within their group of believers didn't. They left the church, and so they uh, just followed along with them. You see, here's the thing, and if, if you got nothing else out of today, I pray that this would be the thing that you come to know and understand. When you are fully invested in Jesus, when you are fully invested in Jesus, then you are fully invested in serving. And when you're fully invested in serving, now you are fully invested in people, <laughs> in people. And when you're helping others, it's no longer about you. All of a sudden, things 
have changed. It's all about Jesus and who he wants you to serve. Your commitment is to him and to his bride and to all of those people who God just might bring before you. And when this happens, you begin to realize the significance of the role in which you play, the love of Jesus that you're offering to someone who may have never, ever experienced that before. The role you play, God will use to help lead people to him, to his hope, to his love, to forgiveness, and ultimately to salvation. And when you realize that what you are doing through serving is how, and how important that role is, then your desire is to long to fulfill that role. <laughs> I want you to understand what that, the implications of that are. If you're so into loving Jesus and serving Jesus and thus serving others, then being at church once a month won't work. Because how can you serve others if you're never around the others that you need to serve? You have to be unified with this concept. But what you realize then is you become so valuable to Christ and you're serving and reaching and loving people that you long to do that. And so being part of the body of Christ all the time and serving in different ways is not a burden. It becomes a joy. Remember, Jesus told us that his yoke is what? Easy. And it's light. Not because it's not hard, but because we love doing it. Think of the labors of love in your life. The things that other people look at you like, man, that's hard. I would never do that. You're like, oh, I don't mind because I love it. Yeah, when you love Jesus and you love people, oh, serving becomes who you are are not something that you do if you are you're growing if you're not then you're at risk of being deceived and pulled away from jesus and away from the body of christ we see it happen all the time in the church we all have to play an active role it truly is one of the ways in which we grow closer to christ and mature in our faith it is also how we are held together as the body of Christ. All of those supporting ligaments, we all need each other serving together. That unity thing is everywhere. What about those cunning, crafty, deceitfully scheming people that will try to rip us apart? What do we do with them? Well, we speak the truth to them in the love of Jesus. Sometimes we have to tell people what they're doing and be honest with them. But we have to do it with the love of of Christ. Now, as Paul spends the first chapter, first half of this chapter, reminding us who we have become in Christ, who we are in Christ, how to grow in Christ, how it is that we're all united in Christ Jesus. And then he closes this letter by shifting gears. He now shares with us some specifics, and he carries into chapter five of how we should live. Again, this is not a list of rules and regulations. This is how we should live in response to Jesus and what he's done for us, among everyone else that doesn't know the love of Jesus yet. This is called our witness. This is called our example. This is the new creation, the work of art, which Paul referred to in chapter two, that God is putting on display through each and every one of us. So here we go. 
verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in their futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of of greed. A two-part reminder. Hey, everybody, we're not just talking about those people. Remember, we were all those people at some point in time. We used to live like everyone else. Our minds were corrupted by what we see, what we hear, what we were taught in the world. We live lives separate from the purpose for which God created us. Our hearts can become hardened by how we're treated and the things that we're observed. Our pursuit of worldly and selfish desires will never, ever end they just won't in this planet. If that is what's driving a person, though, there will be a point where it all seems meaningless. Because our pursuits separate us from the ways of God. This hardening is a result of people ignoring God, ignoring his pursuit, ignoring his love of each of those individuals. Ultimately, it leaves a person numb. So they begin to pursue sinful and unrestrained desires. They give themselves over to anything to try to feel something. Now, probably all of us have witnessed this. Some of us listening have actually experienced this. And the reality of this world tells us there are people listening today that are still going through this very thing. And so our encouragement to those people would be this is not how it has to be. There is hope, there is purpose, there is meaning, there is a reason to continue on and that reason can only be found in the love of Jesus. Don't forget to share that with people you know that are suffering right now. Paul then turns back to who we are in Jesus. As followers of Jesus, many of us have had seasons in life where things did not, shall we say, go as planned. <laughs> Difficulties arose. Maybe a tragedy occurred. Maybe we allowed sin to regain a foothold in our lives once again. Some of us may be going through those very things as well right now. Now, if you're not, by God's grace alone, congratulations, be there for those who are. It might even be a person that was once here with us. Don't abandon them. But they have allowed the world to regain control of their lives. Paul is writing this letter to real people, real people who had real struggles with the same exact things that we do today. Real people who were trying to live out lives of faith, but they struggled at times. Much of this chapter is a reminder to them and then to us as well. Hey, 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 don't forget who you are. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. And please, 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 please don't try to handle what this world throws at you all by yourself. Listen to Paul's words in verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him according to the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, put it off. It's being corrupted by its sinful desires. And then be made new in the attitudes of your minds. And put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's three changes there. First, a change of mind. Then a change of heart. And then a change of lifestyle. 
Allow God and his word and his people to teach, to guide, and even, yes, correct when necessary so that the new self continues to grow into the image of Jesus. Jesus is in charge of the change, and he can now use whatever means necessary to cause that change to happen. Paul goes on to tell us exactly what getting rid of the old self looks like. Verse 25, Therefore each one of you put off falsehood, speak truthful to your neighbor, because we're all members of one body. Yes, the early church had liars. It had gossips. Absolutely it did. There were people spreading gossips and lies about each other, about the leaders, about the people outside of the church building. We don't need to go into where that's listed in the Bible of sin, but it is absolutely at the top of the list because it destroys the unity that we must have. That's why it's such a big deal to Paul. Remember, this is all part of Paul's desire and God's desire for us to grow up, to mature as a follower of Jesus. We'll never grow if we try to keep that one toe in the water of the world because constantly we'll be drug out by the waves of this world and it will mess us up. It will mess the body of Christ up, this church, you name it. We got to get rid of it. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on you while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. And then he throws in this random one, obviously an issue in that church. Anyone who's been stealing must no longer steal, but work doing something useful with their own words that he may have something to share with those in needs. Obviously, he'd gotten a tip that somebody in the church was having some issues, and he knew that they would hear this letter, so he threw that in there specifically to them. Maybe, maybe it's still there today for that very same reason. Our church, though, has been around a long time. 1892 was a couple of days ago. Many of us have been followers for a very long time. Some of you in this room have been followers for 70 years plus. It's a long time. But how many of us still have an unresolved grudge or issue with someone? How many of us have been offended in some way and we're still holding on to that? Paul doesn't hold back in this at all. He, he just lays it out there. He says, hey, if you refuse to let go of that, then you're just giving Satan a seat right beside you at the dinner table every single day of your life. You're giving him a foothold. You're giving him a place in your life that he does not deserve. He did not earn. He does not belong there. We're inviting him in. For some, it's been there for decades. For others, it was an issue with your spouse last night or this morning on the way to church. All of these things can stunt your growth in Christ. So today, let today be the day that you let that end. You make amends. You offer forgiveness. You cannot control the other person. You cannot control their response. But you can be released and you can kick Satan to the curb. Get him out of your life today. The final verses of these texts. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If I were to start a company today and call it Facebook, this would be our motto. This would be our motto. If I were to start found Twitter today, this would be our motto. I realize nobody would have anything to say, would they? No. Do you ever listen to yourself talk? Seriously. Do you ever listen to yourself talk? I actually have a really bad habit of doing this. I listen to myself Sometimes I get confused because I'm listening to myself while I'm trying to talk, and it's very difficult, but I do it. I do it. Do evaluate the words that you use. Now, keep in mind in our modern text culture here today, we're not just talking about auditory conversation, are we? We're talking about every text you've sent, 
Every tweet you've made, every Facebook post, every Instagram picture, every TikTok video, you name it, whatever you, wherever direction you want to go in this modern culture that we live in, think about what you've put. Keep in mind, do you evaluate the conversations, the texts, the posts that you make? As you speak or type, is what you type helpful to anyone? Does it build anyone up? Do your words reveal the love of Jesus? Because if they don't, are they leading them closer to Christ or follow further away? You see, the people that read those don't all know Jesus. If you evaluated everything you posted that way, how would your social media world be different? How would your conversations be different? Why does it matter? Why did Paul say, don't let any? There's not an exception here. It's not, well, let a little unwholesome talk. It's okay to be mean sometimes. It's okay. To, none. None. Period. Why? Verse 30 tells us. Because when we do, we offend the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit with whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You see, there's just simply no place in the life of believer for such behavior. This behavior is anti-Christ. Paul reintroduces the Holy Spirit to us as this seal that we're marked as Christians with that he introduced in chapter one. He shares with us that our behavior affects the Holy Spirit. Did you realize that? Did you realize that our words, our actions grieve the Holy Spirit? It indicates that the Spirit of God has feelings. Absolutely God does. And our actions affect those feelings. We all know what grief is, don't we? That's not a lightweight word, is it? Grief's a pretty serious, serious personal feeling. And our words and our actions toward each other affect the Spirit within us. But did you notice what Paul does as he always does? Don't ever do it. When you do, you cause this problem. Oh, why don't do it? Well, don't do it because he always brings it back to Jesus. He never leaves it on the negative. He reinforces it with the positive. The key to overcoming all of our human desire to behave with our mouths especially the way that we do is Jesus. Focus on the forgiveness that you have received and you will find the kindness and compassion that you need for others. But Paul, but Paul, but Paul, wait a minute. They don't deserve forgiveness. You don't know what they, they don't deserve compassion. They don't deserve kindness. You didn't hear what they just said. Well, I got bad news for you. Neither do I. And neither do any of you. Not a single one of us deserve the kindness and compassion and grace of our heavenly Father. So it's not up to us to decide. God's desire, like Paul's, is for us to become one of God's children, a believer in Jesus. But neither God nor Paul want us to remain as babies, as little infants, as Paul describes. Both have a desire for us to grow toward maturity in our faith. And Paul simply lists some things which keep us from growing toward maturity. If you've never, ever joined the body of Christ, first of all, to become a follower of Jesus, to accept him as your Lord and Savior, you've never been immersed in the waters of baptism, then we always want to invite people to come 
and to do that because you never know who is listening. And we pray as time goes on, you bring more people that have never made that decision and they hear the kindness, compassion, and sacrifice that God made for them and they respond through the Spirit to that message. But it's also quite possible that none of you have ever been unified. Some of you, sorry, not none of you. Some of you have never been unified with the body of Christ. You've never joined the body of Christ to fully commit to serving and loving within that body of Christ to join the church. We're going to ask for that as well, as often as we can. Today is the day to do just that. For some, though, man, we've been a believer for a long time or maybe a short, and it just feels like maturity has hit the pause button. Like we just don't feel like we're growing anymore. Can I be really honest? Uh, here, here's, what it, here's the way it comes out. I just don't feel like I'm being fed. You know what Paul would say to that? Oh, you're still a little baby. Because only babies need fed, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Paul would say, no, you're, you're just an infant. You're not maturing in your faith. Paul would say, go and serve. You'll get fed. <laughs> You'll be rewarded. Absolutely you will. But that's a tough thing to swallow. People don't want to hear that. They just want to leave and go somewhere else where they can hide in obscurity and be fed like infants. And Paul does not desire that, nor does God you realize that maybe something has been tempting you and Satan is keeping you from growing. You've fallen into one of these traps Paul's listed. Then today is the day to repent of those sins, to be forgiven and to be fully restored. Let Come, let someone pray with you, pray over you, pray through these situations with you. Don't miss this opportunity to be a part of this unity within the body of Christ. Father God, we thank you for the words of Paul, for the encouragement through the first half of this book, sharing with us everything that Jesus did for us. And now as he begins to conclude this book, he shares with us, okay, this is what Jesus did. Now here's who you're to be because of that. It's all in response. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of rules and regulations. It's simply a reminder of who we are to be in Christ. And Father, as the body of Christ, we're first and foremost to be unified in the love of your son. We're to be unified in love for one another and we're to be unified in service to the king of kings, to the world around us that is dying without him. I pray that we don't miss any of those opportunities. If there's anyone here that's not made a decision for you, I pray the spirit moves them to do that. If there's anyone here that maybe been here a long time and just never fully joined up with the body of Christ here, we pray that the spirit moves them to join this fellowship of believers right here as we try to be unified in your son's name. And Father, if there's people who feel like their maturity has been stunted for some reason, maybe one of these sin issues have crept into their life and, and Satan has that foothold and they have that anger, they have that issue, they have the problem with their language on, online, talking with others, anger and things built up, we pray they will come. They will meet with you at your throne of grace. Be forgiven of those sins, Father, and ultimately move into that new life and continue that process of maturation, becoming the new creation you desire for us. Father, we love you. We know these words are heavy. Father, we can handle them through Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.